Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. You're very welcome to the first Irish Times second captain's podcast of the new Premier League season. It's all very exciting. It's back. We're back. Well, we were uh, we sold it on through the summer, but we're still here. And we're delighted to be with you today, Ken. How it's are you? back. We're still here. <laughs> That's good. That's Murph laughing away in the background. Uh, Hi, Ken. Hello, everyone. Hello. I watched a lot of football over the weekend, as we all did, I'm sure. Which yeah. means I watched a lot of football pundits over the weekend. Yeah. And I was particularly impressed by one man, Ken. Yeah. Not the much hyped Paul Scholes, who was decent. I, I liked when Scholes did his bit to camera with the back of his head. Oh, I didn't see that bit. Did you? Know? No. During the like the in play, Skull, let's go to Scholesy. Yeah. Our big signing, and then they showed the BT box. You know the little inset screen. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what I, I assume was the David Moyes box. Of course, <laughs> <That's exactly. laughs> it was like half the season of David was, Moyes in that little box. It was box. meant to be Paul Scholes's face. I, I can <laughs> right. assume, but in fact, he was just yeah. watching the game, so he turned the back of his head towards the camera. And uh, so you just had the back of Paul Scholes' head sort of droning about the match. And then they, they went back to it in the second half. And I think they sort of, they must have had a word. Someone had a word at halftime and said, you know, because this time he was almost in profile. But then he just gradually turned around back to watch the game as he continued to talk. So they just cut away. They just said, OK, there's no point in just showing the back of Paul Scholes' ginger Paul Scholes might not like missing a second of the game. So maybe that's his side in mm-hmm. protest about that. Yeah, evident, evidently not. Anyway, my favourite pundit from the weekend. Uh, yes. First, we get a new season. What? Are you still interested in this, or were we just? Well, who, well, who was it? Jamie Redknapp. Jamie Redknapp. You see, you, uh, you, oh, is this because he he's kind of he's got angry now? Oh, but he's got angry. He's yeah. Kenny Cunningham times ten. Yeah, the guy's gone nuts. I think he's he's taken a look around at, the, at an increasingly competitive landscape, and mm. he's realised that just being nice all the time isn't going to cut it. Anymore. And ridiculously good looking. Yeah. It's not just I mean, about being be really, 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 really good. I know people, really and you, you need to back up your arguments with specific examples. So here's the best one I can take from the Arsenal Crystal Palace game that he was doing. They're analysing Jack Wilshere's career graph and they, himself and Carragher weren't too impressed by it. Wilshere's smoking habits have been brought up, getting in a bit of bother again in the yeah. summer. The fact that he has tough competition for his place, this has been brought up mainly through Carragher. Redknapp just steps in and said, listen, 
Jack Wilshere's biggest problem is Jack Wilshere. Forget about the smoking. I've played, with be- I've played with better players than him who smoked. Right? Went on to explain why he won't be in the Arsenal team when Ozil gets back. It says he's not dynamic enough to be as good as Ramsey as a box-to-box midfielder. Yeah. He's not essentially not creative enough to be as good as Ozil. Mm. And he'll be out of the team. Two things struck me. If Paul Scholes had said that, you see, you're almost mocking Jimmy Redknapp here again. If Paul Scholes had said this, we'd be seeing the quotes reprinted mm. all weekend. And Gary Neville, the wonder kid of TV analysis, has put himself in a position where he can't say these things. He just can't criticise English players because mm. he coaches them. So, I don't know, Jamie, there's a space there that Jamie Redknapp has surprisingly yeah. occupied. I know people have probably, if this is the first time anyone's listened to this show, they're like, oh my God, people are praising Jamie Redknapp. Something's gone wrong here. But mm. I'm sticking to my gun so far. Well, Jack, uh, Jack Wilshire, we know how he reacts when people who he really respects criticise him. He, he got really. Him. Didn't he, he call them up? Call, he, he stewed on it for a couple of days, and Paul it really Scholes bothered him. It. Yeah, and then he then he picked up the phone and rang Paul Scholes and said, "I really respected you. I really re- I really respect you, Paul. You know what's what's up." But that wouldn't be the first time that Jamie Redknapp's had to deal with that from a player, because he was writing only this weekend about uh, apparently he he criticised Thierry Henry at some point. It was an Arsenal West Ham game some years ago, and uh, he didn't think Thierry Henry played very well. Said so. Um, phone rings Sunday morning. Hello, Jimmy. Uh, hello, who's this? It's Thierry. Thierry who? <laughs> it's Thierry Henry. Oh. And uh, Thierry Henry then went on a, a rant about how uh, Jamie Redman said, I could have put the phone down, made a cup of tea and a bacon sandwich and come back and he would have still been going on about it. <laughs> so apparently this is uh, <laughs> this is a thing with certain... Although Thierry, Thierry Henry was famous for doing that. I mean, he, he called up Oliver Holt. I remember he, he wrote about it at the... the Daily Mirror journalist, you know, he, you know, he essentially the best way to get Thierry Henry on the phone is to write an article slagging him off. <laughs> um, something to think about, actually. Yeah, so maybe not a bad way of <laughs> approaching a man for an interview. Light bulb just went so, off and can't write an there. article slagging off Thierry Henry, then sit in this studio. Now we play the waiting game. <laughs> <laughs> You're removed, Thierry. Anyway, Jamie Redknapp, thumbs up for your performance this Saturday, even though nobody in this studio is agreeing with me for the time being. It's time for Ken Hurdy's. Report on sport. Well, I don't know. I think maybe he's been a bit harsh on Wilshire. I mean, I think Wilshire's very talented. Oh, so Skulls can say whatever he wants about Wilshire. Oh, that's tough talking. But Redknapp says it. Oh, no, Redknapp, get back in your banal box. Well, I mean, we, I mean, when Andrew Mangan was in here the other week, we were talking about Wilshire. My idea with Wilshire is that he should be a, a deep lying player. He's trying to be, you know, this number 10. Oh, forget it. His little legs, he's not going to be able to. I just don't see it happening for him in that position. But I think he could be a guy who uh, is a, a deep-lying playmaker. I think he's got the skills to do that. Whether he has the interest, whether he sees that as something he wants to do, I'm not sure. But I, I think Redknapp does have a point. I mean, would you pick him ahead of Mesut Ozil? No, he's not as good. Would you pick him ahead of Ramsey? Certainly not. Arteta. That's the player. I, if I was Wilshire, I'd be looking at Arteta thinking, this could, might be the guy I can get in the team ahead of. There's no captain. shame in it. Andre Pirlo did the same thing. You know, he thought he was a he thought he was an attacking midfielder, and then, in order to get in the team, said, "Hey, listen, I'll try this, I'll try this deep lying thing," you know. And uh, Carlo Ancelotti said, "Okay, well, let's see what you can do." So that's what Jack Wilshere can learn from Jamie Redknapp: what? finding the gap in the market, <laughs> and then changing completely who you were to try and fit into that market. Well, it's just a, it's a competitive marketplace. I mean, look at Skulls and Neville hoovering it up, Phil Neville even. You know, these Manchester United players all retiring and hoovering up all the media work. Mm. You know, Jamie Redknapp's been on the scene for a few years now, but he must be getting a little bit nervous. Am I being, uh, 
Are my skills becoming irrelevant in an increasingly sophisticated marketplace? It is a very Liverpool Man United dominated scene now. Mm. That, that whole punditry scene. Well, maybe, you know, when Frank Lampard. Will Frank Lampard become a media pundit? Does he have too much money? Can he? Would he even be bothered? I'm not sure. Um, but look, it's. Uh, it's it's a situation that we'll that we'll watch with interest. Let's talk about the actual football. I guess people were interested in that too. Yeah, and so yesterday we we got to see Liverpool and Manchester City kick off their season. So yeah, good results for the two of them. Although I think Manchester City probably be feeling a little better about how they played. Uh, Liverpool managed to beat uh, Southampton, but it was a lot closer than uh, I think they had hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. And I mean. Apparently, Luis Suarez sent Brendan Rodgers a text message morning of the game. Good luck, Brendan. I am with you always. Apart from the fact that I'm no longer with you. <laughs> but I'm with you always. Uh, it was a love-in, uh, said Rodgers. He's a, he's a great boy, but he's gone now, and we're stronger. So this was kind of this, this has been the theme. We're stronger now. Even Sturridge was asked after, do you think you're stronger now without Suarez? And yeah, yeah, I think we are. They're not stronger. I mean, uh, in the, even in the most literal sense of that, uh, you know, the thing that you notice watching this was how, uh, I mean, there's a lot of elements, as far as a lot of elements to his game, I mean, the kind of element of surprise, the kind of skill that he had in the ball, but the, the just the sheer physical strength is an underrated component of what he was bringing to that team. The fact that they could play any kind of a ball up to him and he, odds are he's going to get it first before the defender and could hold any defender off. The, the guys that they have at the moment, the front three yesterday was Coutinho, Sterling and Sturridge are all nice footballers, quick players, but they don't have that kind of. They're lightweight compared to that. You know, they don't really have that kind of an anchor up the field. You know, who can keep the ball up there, and you know, regardless of anything he can do with it, just the fact that he could hold players off. Well, Sterling, can, uh, I should say, um, Sturridge can potentially be like that. Sturridge is reason is a reasonable build, and I don't think so. Sterling, I agree, is lightweight in how he looks, but he's. I'd actually he have higher hopes. It, yeah. I'd have higher hopes for Sterling, to be honest, because although he's short, he's increasingly. Um, you can see that he's a. He's got quite a good build. You know, I think he's probably there. He's their big hope now. Maybe he can replicate some of the things that Suarez was doing. I mean, he scored the goal, the first Even goal. Sturridge was in the twenties last year. Mm. Goals. Yeah, I mean, you know, Sturridge is always going to score. Goals. I mean, I think you could see Gar- even Gary Lineker say, tweeting Sturridge. What? An, he's a natural goal scorer. Can't be taught. Um, he's, he just gets it. Uh, and it was a kind of a poacher's type of goal. But, um, you know, I think, I still think Sterling is maybe the is the, is the real talent there. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Not a I great mean, debut for Shane Long. No, no. And, and obviously Shane Long's uh, move has, has been one of the, so it was one of the talking points last week. You know, why is the player suddenly worth so much? The answer being, well, there's a lot more money flowing around the game. That's what it costs to buy Shane Long these days. How much would you have sold him for, you know, if you were Hull? Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, he comes on and really... I mean, Niall Quinn did his best on Sky to try and, try and absolve him. Did he? Yeah, he said, well, if you look at this, Glenn Johnson actually does well. He momentarily manages to obscure... Shane Long's view of the football and he ends up heading it wide this is result. one of those headers if people didn't see it where a ball is looping up inside the box a shot from Schneider and smashed it smashed in. off the crossbar Yeah, tiny little fingertip save by Mignolet which was crucial in keeping it out ball hits the 
hits the uh, ground, bounces up, and is looping down onto the head of Shane. Invitingly, he does quite well. Uh, defenders are funneling back, trying to get on the line and disrupt him. Goalkeeper's on his knees. Nothing he can do. All he needs, all he needs to do is head the ball into the goal, which is looming in front of him, and he heads it wide. So, not great, not but great. the kind of thing that we've seen. Um, seen from Shane Long a few Yeah, which is unfortunate because I did find, I don't know if we had a chance to talk about it last week, I found some of the analysis of the move a little bit bewildering in that, of course, the money did seem quite a lot, but I was more interested in whether or not it was going to be a good move for Shane Long. We might have touched on it last week um, and how he's actually going to do. The problem, just with all the will in the world, the guy doesn't score goals. Doesn't Mm. score enough goals, anyway. Um, So... And now he does have the... Oh, it's all coming back to me. Now, we did talk a bit about this last week. The, the, the fact that this time he's actually got a pressure on him. Yeah, This time course. he has a proper big price tag. It's a different thing. Stuff. You know, when you're... It's, it's different when you're, oh, look at this lad. You know, what a, what a great lad he is. You know, we got him for, for nothing from the League <laughs> yeah. of Ireland. And, you know, he's really... He's, he's, he can maybe cut it up. To the, and now he's a 12 million pound striker. You know, which means he's a guy who's expected to be, to be really good. Um... In the in the event, so he didn't score. Liverpool got the win, but you know, I, I, I don't know if we'll be seeing that the midfield that they began the game with Lucas Leiva and Steven Gerrard uh, together too many more times. I mean, I'm not quite sure why Lucas Leiva played. Maybe Emery Chan had some fitness issue, but I imagine we'll be seeing a lot more of him because certainly for the goal Liverpool did concede. I think Lucas Leiva covered himself in glory. Wayne Rooney did score his chance, but it wasn't quite enough for Manchester United. You want to talk about Rooney? Well, Rooney. Uh, was in real mea culpa mode. I mean, he, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk with John Brown about about Rooney his performance a little bit later on. But you know, he says, I, "I just had a bad game," and I was the first to say that when I got into the dressing room. I didn't play well. You have those days, says Rooney, who's now obviously the captain, so he he has to speak a lot more. He's kind of the face of the team now in a way he wasn't before. Um, uh, I've always felt I'm a leader on the pitch, so that won't be a major difference. Now, Van Hal was talking about this last week. He was saying, you know, he didn't play well against Valencia in Van Hal's view, and he said, well, I think he was he was kind of thinking about being captain. Let it fly, Wayne. Let it fly was how Van Hal put it. You know, forget about. It. Don't think, oh, I'm, I'm the captain. I've got to play well. Just go out there and do what you do. You know, let it fly. And um, we didn't really see that from Rooney. Um, I thought he was okay in the second half. He hit that yeah, free so kick I- off the angle. Of- crossbar and post he scored the goal took that one well slipped beautifully slipped the centre half at one stage who made a late lunge to retrieve the situation but he was almost in there I thought, thought he was their only player besides Yanazai and Patches who showed anything really so this is why you know I think his, his I had bad game is a little bit overcooked it's a, it's a kind of a bit what, why, are, why are we having this self-flagellation from you Wayne it wasn't <laughs> something we previously associated with Wayne Rooney self public self-criticism you know it's not um, Van Hal, of course, said, uh, I mean, there was this whole thing over whether people were saying he'd pick Van Persie. And I think we talked about it before, Owen, before this decision was made, that it wouldn't be a surprise to see him make Rooney the captain because if if you think your relationship with Van Persie is solid anyway, why not, you know, throw Rooney a bone? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Van Hal said, I think you always have to pick a native captain, said the man who had Mark Van Bommel as his captain of Bayern Munich. <laughs> That's not necessarily the case. If, uh, you know, I suppose Van Bommel was the captain before, so it was an easier kind of choice, but, you know, yeah. didn't always have to have one. I mean, I am interested to see how this relationship goes because, you know, there was a good um, there was a good piece in Van Gaal. There's been loads of pieces on Van Gaal. You know, it's... Loads it, as, You know, he's, he's honestly, he's the most covered uh, managerial rival ever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Mourinho uh, maybe was close. I think Van Gaal's has eclipsed that. I mean, probably because the World Cup was on as well, so you had that. Yeah. Even if the World Cup wasn't on, he'd probably be well covered. And, and he was coming before the World, you know, yeah, before sort of the World Cup. So it was all during the World Cup was through the prism of. And obviously, yeah. as a, as a, in the role of savior, you know, I mean, uh, in the, in the case of Mourinho, Abramovich was creating a lot of the headlines at that time. He was buying all these players. There was a lot kind of excitement around that, and it wasn't as though Ranieri had been a disaster. I mean, he finished second, got to the Champions League semi-final, you know. Whereas in this instance, it's the Messiah has come. And then, did you see the METV ad, incidentally? No. Moyes, you know. I, I think I find it a little a little strange. I mean, there, you know, there's Moyes, they show Moyes, and there's, there's a voiceover saying, what was all that about? <laughs> and, uh, you know, a woman is saying, I was ashamed of them. And, you know, and then the, the chosen one banner sort of crumples up and falls to the ground. And then it's, but a new dawn. And so you see Van Hal, the master and the apprentice Van Hal and gigs and all this kind of stuff. I'm just not sure why they would trample on David Moyes anymore. <laughs> Is it not possible to just leave David Moyes alone at this stage rather than use him mm-hmm. in an ad campaign, you know, on the club TV channel? I don't know. Um, but Moyes, incident, we'll get to him in a second because he's, yeah. he's done his first interview. But uh, Van Hal, there was an interesting piece. One of the best pieces about him was in uh, a Dutch website called De Correspondent, I think it's called, in in Dutch. I think it's with a D-E, mm-hmm. yeah, D-E, D, uh, yeah, D-E correspondent.nl, uh, which is a kind of a, a new adventure in journalism, actually, a kind of a, uh, a crowd-funded journalism project, um, which launched, I think, last year. Oh, yeah, I've read about that. Yeah, they basically they raised a load of money from people who, you know, do you want quality journalism or just the same old rubbish you've been reading? And people said, quality, please. And they said, well, in that case, why don't you send us some money and we'll set up a quality quality uh, service, which, which is what they've done. Uh, I haven't read too much of it because it's in Dutch, which I don't speak. However, they did put, uh, oh, they did, they did have an English language site as well, but they, ha- they put up this thing about Van Hal. Uh, which was talking a lot about his his method of training and so on, and uh, and the word teaching is mentioned in it something like uh, twenty two times, teach, so uh, some, something like twenty two times in the piece, and uh, it's all about, you know, he's he's talking about in the training. I like to stop the training, uh, you know, when people are, when players are doing stuff, they do they do the thing, and then I'm like, no, 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 I want you to do it this way. Uh, you, you do it while they're doing it. You then intercede, stop, intercede, explain. That's how you best create it teaching moment or learning moment maybe it's learning that's repeated I think it maybe is learning um, and I thought learning who used that word about Wayne Rooney and then I remembered Alex Ferguson's contemptible autobiography um, soon to be updated to include the latest on his work at Harvard and his thoughts on David Moyes. <laughs> it is true. It's, uh, it's, it's actually happening, yeah. That's happening soon. His thoughts on one David Moyes. unbelievable things I've heard. In a, one of the most despicable things I've heard. Man's got to sell some more copies of his book. Yeah, he needs. He didn't sell, I mean, it was the biggest selling book in the history of the English language or something. I mean, not it. No, no, no. Uh, but it was. <laughs> it was <laughs> Slight hyperbole there. But it was, it was the biggest selling book. In the UK last year, yes, certainly by, by distance. You've downgraded it ever so slightly. <laughs> Think the Bible has that one sold up. But he said about Wayne Rooney, in my opinion, he wasn't the quickest learner. What he had was natural instinct to play the game and intuitive awareness of how football worked. In training ground exercise, he wouldn't absorb new ideas and methods quickly. His instinct was to revert to type, to trust what he already knew. He was comfortable in himself. 
comfortable in himself there isn't meant as a sort of, oh, he was so natural, he was comfortable in his own skin, as so much as he was stagnant. He was a stagnant, complacent waste of space, is how that, <laughs> is how that translates. So maybe uh, it could be just that the, the magic had, had gone out of their relationship. Mm. can happen sometimes. It's a timey, but it is funny. It's, if Alex Ferguson had written, what, two autobiographies? If they'd been written... Oh, he's written, he's written a few, two, two. two major autobiographies but, and a number of pot-boiling season diaries. Sure, yeah. But if those autobiographies had been written maybe a year or two earlier, earlier or later than they were, it's just at a particular time, he's ready to kill Roy Keane or leave a few bombs there for Wayne Rooney or whoever and then at another time a couple of years earlier I'd say he would have been saying this, the boy Wayne has been incredible for me and yeah. oh Wayne he can do what he likes at this club what a little tyke <laughs> you know I was walking in the training ground and bang a ball hit me straight in the face and smashed my glasses that's Wayne you know what a wonderful young man he is. Um, but uh, but as I mentioned Moyes had done an interview with Matt Lawton in the Mail on Sunday uh, he's obviously you know, still a little bruised by everything. Quite a negative reaction to David Moyes from the sort of Manchester United online community, which which again I'm surprised by. I suppose there's bad, there's genuine bad feeling there. You know, there's people think he just made a complete mess of it. He's obviously had a lot of time to think about it, and uh, the formula that he's arrived at, which sounds like the kind of thing you might come to the conclusion of after you've been brooding on it for weeks, is I don't feel I was given time to succeed or fail. So he's not claiming that he was doing well, but equally he's disputing the notion that he was a complete flop because how can you tell after such a short space of time? The the kind of most, uh, in a way, a quite po- a poignant moment in this interview is, is right at the beginning when Lawton mentions that on the day that Moyes was sacked, he'd spoken to him twice on the phone. Uh, he said he didn't believe it at first. Indeed, when I spoke to him within an hour of the story appearing, because remember the day, it was like a bank holiday Monday here. I'm not sure if it was in the UK as well. Was it kind of around Easter? Easter, yeah. yeah it was Easter. Monday. It was Easter it was, Monday. Yeah. Um, so it would have been about, uh, a bank holiday. And the story kind of came out, was tweeted simultaneously by all, all of these uh, football correspondents in the UK uh, at about one o'clock. And then, so evidently Matt Lawton was one of those who got in touch with David Moyes on the phone. And he said, uh, he was incredulous. He said, there's no way you guys would know before me. This is Manchester United we're talking about, said David Moyes. He honestly did not believe that they could have told all the journalists before they told him. But they did. That's what actually had happened. I felt bad for David Moyes on that score, I have to say. Yeah. I mean, we don't know who, who it was within the Manchester United hierarchy. That small number of people who knew that David Moyes was going to be sacked before he did was the one who told the media. Pretty sure it wasn't Alex Ferguson. Don't know if it was David Gill. He'd never have done, wasn't the way that he, I mean, I don't know who it was. Just when you look at the, the guys who would have known, who would it have been who called up the press? I mean, it's a pretty big story to give away. It's a nice, juicy morsel to give to a journalist, isn't it? Or a bunch of journalists. Oh, I've got an interesting story for you. You'll never guess, but we're about to sack David Moyes. Shh, he doesn't know yet. <laughs> you know, who would, who would do that? I mean, who would try to curry favour with... It is a way of currying favour, I suppose, with journalists to give them juicy exclusives like that. So somebody, somebody, I suppose, uh, managed to do it. We don't know who it was. Um, but there you go. Uh, Moyes, you, you get the impression, could have a lot more to say about this, but mentions the fact that he had a non-disclosure clause in the, the deal that he signed with Manchester United. So 
there was no there's a confidentiality clause, so he's not going to be blabbing about what really went on. He'll just say that last summer he was a bit disappointed with certain uh, signings that weren't made. The administrator at the time, David Gill, had stepped down and been replaced by a new guy, Ed Woodward, who maybe was learning the ropes as well. And unfortunately, a few things didn't come off. Um, he, there is one, I think, one riposte to it has come already from Rene Malenstein, who obviously left the club uh, shortly after Moyes arrived. Moyes mentioned he'd be, well, actually, I asked him to stay. People yeah. were slagging me off for suggesting, oh, you know, kicked him out. But I asked him to stay. Malenstein has since come out and said, well, what he doesn't say is what he said immediately after he asked me. He asked me to stay, sure. But he said, but, by the way, I will be doing everything myself. <laughs> so I didn't actually have any role there. Yeah. You know, he was going to do all the training, and that was what I did. So if I wasn't like, he was saying, stay, please, but I'm going to be doing your job from now on. There wasn't really any point in me staying. The PSV fans have been taking on Wi-Fi. Yeah. Your well, note to me earlier said. Well, look, I mean, it's like you, you like me, spent a lot of time this weekend lying on your back, maybe sitting upright, watching football. And That's not the old McDevitt way. No, what, what, what is he, what is he's he doing? He's going to lie down. Yeah, he, he lies. He, he lies, yeah, he he likes, Until Jamie Redknapp says something incredible and incendiary and shocks up, me. Sits and rolls off the couch, <laughs> picks himself up. And That's what gets him what? on the edge of his seat. A particularly um, uh, an audacious sally from Jamie Redknapp. Um, but during the actual, while the actual game is being played, I mean, obviously you're there on your phone checking Twitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the game is on. It's 90 minutes long. It's quite, quite hard to stay focused. Sometimes there's not a lot happening. So... And this is, like it or not, you know, this is a scourge on the game these days. You know, we used to actually have to watch this football, and now we just watch and see what other people are saying about it online. And the PS, PSV have recently set up a good Wi-Fi system at their ground. Because, you know, the way if you ever try, oftentimes you go to a football match and your phone doesn't even work um, because there's too many people there. I don't know exactly what the problem is, but... You know, there's a lot the of state... is flooded by, you know, the fact that there are 60,000 people in... Very close proximity. Yeah, a lot, a lot of stadiums, you can't... I mean, White Hart Lane is notorious where you can't use your phone there. Um, there's various... I mean, not, there's no really answer. It's just you can't. You could look to you if you're trying to get your phone working. Um, and there's a few... So PSV, to try and help their fans, set up this uh, Wi-Fi network that the fans could use to be <laughs> only for the ultras to respond with, uh, well, a lot of a lot of uh, signs and so on telling them where they could stick their Wi-Fi. Already? Yeah, because if you're looking at your Wi-Fi... If you're using Wi-Fi, you're not. Are you going to be? Are you supporting PSV? Are you supporting PSV, or are you looking at your phone? Should you even be here? F Wi-Fi. Yeah. Support the team. Support I the saw team. the banner. It's that's really what, quite extraordinary. That's what they're you saying. You could support the team by by sending by tweeting supportive messages. Yeah. Hashtag yeah. PSV. Hashtag, hashtag, hashtag PSV. <laughs> hashtag go. Uh, go PSV. Go team. That's interesting. Yeah. Nah. No, I mean you know. That's a pretty interesting story. Last one is Chelsea, who are playing tonight. They may have played by the time some people are listening to this. but mm. you, So let's try and make it timely for those people and the people who are listening before the game, Ken. Go. Uh, Say something about Chelsea. Chelsea tonight, uh, away to Burnley. Um, Insert scoreline here. <laughs> apparently Thibaut Courtois is going to be playing. Um, I didn't realise till I read this in the Sunday Independent over the weekend that that Jose Mourinho had been asked about, uh, had been asked to give a comment on what might, what he thought might happen if Roman Abramovich was caught up in uh, the sanctions, the exchange of sanctions between Russia and the West. <laughs> At a press conference? Yeah. 
Uh, I, I hadn't read this on, at the time because it was all—it was just Mourinho talking about Diego Costa, what a great guy he was, and basically didn't speak any English. But it doesn't matter; everyone understands him because he just—he's got a great soul. Um, what did um, what did Mourinho do with that, he lives with that in turd a, of a question? He lives in a little—he uh, lives in a little uh, village behind the sunset. Was what uh, Mourinho said about uh, about Diego Costa? Or he comes from a little village behind the sunset. It's a long way to get there. Where did Teletubbies from? <laughs> I don't know. How did he answer this question? I, I need to know. No, he didn't lie. That's what he said. I'm sorry. I don't, well, yeah, he said, he said, uh, I don't want to go that way, or I'm not going in that direction. But the question was essentially, if Roman is frozen out of all this, you know, if he if he becomes one of these uh, subjects of sanctions, you know, David Cameron might turn around and say, I'm going to freeze. Your assets, Mr. Bramwich, don't like your links to the regime, the current regime in Russia. Don't like what the regime is doing. Don't like the aggression that's being sponsored. Therefore, going to freeze your assets in order to show that we in Britain mean business. The mere fact that you've got a ton of money, all this property in Bayfair, uh, Chelsea Football Club, and various other enterprises here doesn't blind our doesn't blind us to the fact that you're not, you know. We, we just have objections to, to, to what you represent, therefore freezing your assets. Sorry. No, I don't know how you're going to pay your footballers. No, it's not my problem. It's not my problem, frankly. Um, not getting into that. Perhaps wisely, that was Jose Mourinho's answer. That's the end of a spectacular opening report on sport of the new season again. Well done. Almost, oh, thanks. So. Almost Jamie Redknapp standard. Thanks. Thanks for that. The flame here. Flame hair, flame throw, truth, Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Aaron. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. ESPN's John Bruin was at Old Trafford on Saturday. John, I don't want to be sensationalist here, but I have noted that the odds on Rui Van Hal being the next manager out the door in the Premier League, it's 33 to 1. I think I like those odds. You? Well, <laughs> I, I can't see it happening. Um, I think you might lose your money. But, um, well, I suppose it, uh, the, the possibility is that Louis van Gaal falls out with the hierarchy at the club over yeah. the fact they've failed to reinforce his team. That'd have to be that, it, really. And that looks like it is a distinct possibility, depending on what happens over the next 10 days or so. Well, yes. I mean, it, it, Saturday's performance at Old Trafford was um, it was the worst of Moyes. Or, yeah, it, it really was that bad. Um, and uh, the, the resignation in the crowd as well was really uh, quite apparent to me that everybody sort of realised that this magic wand was not going to be waved and it would be just the same. Um and actually with lesser players as well, because there are several players that have left Manchester United over the summer. Um, you've got players like Jesse Lingard uh, and Tyler Blackett, who are young players, who may well be great players in the future, but they were certainly not ready for this particular game. Lingard got an injury, which caused Van Hal problems. And the fact that an inju- a, a, a wing-back of 21 years old getting injured meant that he almost had to, tie, had to tear up his original plan and change from three at the back to four at the back um, 
shows you just how thin the squad that Van Hal is working with. Just on the three of the back thing, I mean, he, he obviously made this change at half time, um, yeah. and it, which initially worked. I mean, they well, the second half I suppose was better than the first. Second half was was a one all draw. Um, what do you think he's going to do? I mean, I, I saw Paul Scholes, uh, who was making his debut on BT Sports, being quite critical of this system. I mean, essentially saying, "Look, yeah, great, but it's it's a sort of a slow possession oriented system." And you know, in my entire time at this club, we tried to play fast, uh, you know, high tempo attacking football. So, with the obvious implication that he thinks this is um, maybe something that's not going to fly. With the with the crowd at Old Trafford, who preferred to see a different kind of game, you know, what what are your thoughts on it at this stage? Why is is Van Gaal so convinced that this is the way to go, or is he even still convinced that it is? I'm not sure that he is convinced. I mean, one of the things about Van Gaal is that he is prepared to vary his tactics, as he did at the World Cup, as he's done with all the teams he's had over the years, um, and the fact that three at the back, which has been discussed. You know, at great length over the summer was abandoned at half time shows you that he is prepared to change things. I mean, Scholes makes the point correctly that United lack pace, but one of the issues, which may well be the reason why Van Hal has chosen this, is can we name a Manchester United player with actually any genuine pace? Um, is, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling at this point. Does Herrera have pace? No, no, no. He's a, you know, a, a small midfielder. Um, I reckon you put him in a foot race with uh, Tom Cleverley, it would be a close run thing. <laughs> really? What about Luke Shaw? I mean, is he, he's a little pocket rocket. Is he? A, I mean, he's, he'd fit in your pocket, but is he a rocket? <laughs> he's, Luke Shaw certainly has talent. Yeah, as an attacking player, I wouldn't say he's the paciest, but he's certainly got... Um, he can beat a player. Um, although his crossing is not fantastic. But... Um, we're struggling, aren't we? We can't think of a, a, a quick player. I mean, Rooney, his pace has gone, as, as we've discussed a few times. But Theresa Evera, I would, would have said, still had a bit of a bit of dash about him, but he's gone there as well. Yeah, so there's not player. really any, anyone there. And the, the guy, this is where Di Maria would come in. He's definitely a guy with a pace and dynamism, but the price they're talking about seems pretty insane for him. And uh, now Manchester United may be cornered a little bit. Alan Shearer was saying, look, this could be a good thing for Manchester United. At least now the owners are well aware that they have to make these deals stick in the last couple of weeks of the transfer window. But of course, as we know, all the selling clubs are aware of this too. And hence you're getting these kind of crazy prices for reasonably good players. Well, aren't Manchester United, the club, who according to executive by chairman Ed Woodward, are prepared to break any transfer record that is about. Uh, money is no object. So what's the problem? You know, Di Maria is almost exactly the player that United need from an attacking point of view in the fact that he can carry the ball at pace and take opponents out of the game. Um, I saw Ed Woodward on Saturday, um, just coming, leaving the uh, director's box very late, I noticed. Uh, and he had a sort of glance over towards us, us lads in the press box and a bit of a wry smile. Um, he must have been aware that most of the, or many of the comments on the game would be centred at him because he needs to prove that he can actually negotiate a deal because if you actually look at the players that he's bought, um, we haven't seen anything from any of them yet. Um, talking players with no pace, Juan Mata would lead that list as well. Yeah. Uh, what's happening with Mata? I mean, he, he just hasn't found his feet yet. I understand. This guy's the record signing. Um, was a brilliant player for Chelsea. I mean, I, I, I thought, you know, I, uh, 
you can see, you can maybe see, if you accept Jose Mourinho's stated explanations at face value, maybe, maybe he's got a case to say this guy doesn't fit in with the type of football I want to play. I still thought, come on, you know, one matter, what I've seen from him playing for two years for Chelsea, this guy is quality and hasn't managed to show you. Why not? It, it does seem to me that Old Trafford, as, as a ground, seems to freeze him. He was pretty he, good there for Chelsea, I think. Didn't he score yeah. a winner there? Well, yeah, he? he scored, yeah. I mean, it, 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 just it, something is not right. I mean, I attended the Valencia game, the friendly, uh, last Tuesday, and he was, you know, absolutely anonymous, awful. And he did the same against Swansea, who had worked out how to stop him. I mean, that, one of the things you have to say about that game is... Um, Manchester United's fear factor is completely gone if teams like Swansea turn up with a tactical plan that they know will work against them. Mm. What did you make of the performance of the captain, Wayne Rooney? I mean, I saw that he had some things to say after the match. Uh, He was saying, you're going to get ex-players going over the top and um, he could have been referring to Skulls, he could have been referring to McManaman, he could have been referring to Redknapp, who I think has said, uh, you know, no manager could, could manage this team, it's it's so bad. There were a lot of guys having to say, but I mean, in terms of his own performance, I, I guess we're going to hear more from him because he is the captain now, uh, in general. But on the field, uh, how did he do? Well, as I said, I mean, the, the problem with Rooney is that he he has lost the pace, the explosive pace that made him an effective player a few years ago. And when it comes to touch, uh, which was another thing that, uh, I mean, one thing that Paul Scholes did say was that you needed to get a player of real quality on the ball and the player he pinpointed was Wayne Rooney. But whenever he received the ball, um, you know, I didn't think that his first touch was particularly good. Um, listen, it was a good goal. It was well taken. Um there was a sort of Brian Robson style fist pumping celebration to show that, you know, he is the leader. But a um, couple of slightly odd signs. I mean, Tyler Blackett's a young player. He's uh, only 20 or so. And when Swansea scored the second goal, Rooney ran over to Admonish, shouting in his face. Um, what type of leadership is that? Um, I know that Blackett had made a mistake and that he'd taken a free kick too quickly or something like that. Yeah, he, he, gave, he gave it back to, to Barney, didn't he? But, I, yes. I mean, what I, I, Gary Neville maybe is one of these ex-players uh, who was going over the top. I don't know if, if Rooney had a problem with his call him in the Telegraph, I think it is, who, who Neville's working for these days, um, on Saturday, where he wrote about Rooney um, as a captain. It was I've, Honestly, I don't think I've ever read such a, such a gushing article about uh, Wayne Rooney can reintroduce the highest standards of accountability. Um, uh, it's a lines like this from, from, you know, really praising Rooney to the absolute hilt. And I wondered, is this the same player that um, Alex Ferguson seems to have such a problem with? Well, this would be Gary Neville, England coach, um, who presumably... <laughs> I, keep, I keep forgetting there's a connection there. <laughs> yes, Gary Neville, England coach, uh, who uh, we assume uh, for the England England's game against Norway in a, a week or two, that Rooney will be announced as a captain for that. But um, I'm it's ten, I'm minded to go along with Ferguson's view of the player. I mean, not the personal thing, but the, his view of the player was the play, that Rooney was not the player he uh, he was or could have been, I think is the point about Rooney. Um, I mean, listen, he, he was the goal scorer. It actually did remind me of his, his England performances, actually, where... 
in the, the moments where the team did well, he was involved, but was actually quite peripheral. And that's probably the type of player that he is. He's not, as he once was, a perpetual motion player that's always involved. Just uh, one more on the next couple of weeks for United, John. Is there a problem with their structure there? Managers, certainly when the whole uh, director of football concept first came to British football, there was almost uh, horror amongst a lot of the managers that they would have to deal with this person above them making a lot of decisions on transfers. But is that actually something that's maybe missing from Man United? That if they had a more specific director of football role, then Van Hal wouldn't actually have to worry about Ed Woodward's competence or otherwise in landing these players. Is, is there somebody else? Is there a missing link in the chain there, maybe? Yeah, I think, I think that they, that's something they're going to have to look at. And I suppose, should the, the uh, transfer crisis continue until the end of the window, then they're going to have to really look at transfers and consider somebody that's going to come in and do it. But I suppose the, the thing about a director of football is, just as you can have bad managers or bad players, you can have bad directors of football. Um, it needs to be the right person that Van Gaal is going to work alongside. I think one of the things that Van Gaal liked about taking the United job was that it appealed to his uh, desire to have a great deal of control. Um Finding a director of football to work alongside Van Gaal, judging by my um, very brief uh, experience of him, I think that could be difficult. I think that could be difficult. Right. Um, so you would expect that if, if such a decision was to be made, he would have a say in who that director of football was. But uh, we, 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 I suppose we're, we're thinking ahead. Um, you know, in the meantime, it's up to Ed Woodward. Yeah, if I was Ed Woodward, I, I'd be thinking I re- I desperately need to outsource this job as quickly as possible. I'm getting too yes. much flack here. Um, I mean, I don't know what way the self-preservation instinct works now with Ed Woodward. Is he concerned about his own standing in the eyes of the supporters? Clearly, he's going to get a. He's, he's already been criticised in the media. I can see him being criticised quite quite heavily online. Is he more concerned about that or? making money for his masters in the United States. I mean, they like him because he makes them so much money. If he started costing them money, if they were to, you know, uh, you know, open their, their email in the morning and discover that Manchester United have signed Angel Di Maria in a £100 million deal, would they like him as much? Well, probably not. But, I mean, you know, where did Ed Woodward start his career? He's as a, as a chartered accountant. Uh, this is how... It, it operates, doesn't it? You know, they're in, he's interested in the balance, uh, the profit and loss, the balance sheet, the profit and loss account. That's where his he probably measures success. Um, David Gill, though, was a, again himself an accountant. Um, you do have to wonder. I mean, as, as we've said previously, you know, this is what we're seeing now. Uh, what we've seen in the post-Ferguson era is that this is the Glazer United that was possibly feared nine years ago and he's now coming home to roost. Um, and if we recall at the time when the Glazer family came in, they said that, you know, they would spend transfer fees freely and uh, they didn't see the problem with investing in the team. Yet the evidence suggests that they haven't really done that. And uh, Edward Wood, as their representative in Manchester or in England, he's a person that has to bear the brunt for that. But um, I would imagine that, uh, Woodward still sees his responsibility towards the Glazer family. Yeah. All right. John, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. I like John's observation there of Woodward leaving Old Trafford and just giving a little wry smile to the press box. 
You guys are going to be writing some bad stuff about me. What the hell is going on there? I, I couldn't believe my ears when I heard that. Why is Ed Woodward looking at the press box, kind of gesturing over to... To journalists, I mean... Well, I don't know if he's gesturing. I mean, it could have been that his eyes were just drawn. He couldn't help him just looking over at all the people that he knew were, were writing books. Yeah, I, I, no. I, don't, I don't think John is saying that he was standing there, go to, come and have a go if you think no, you're hard enough no, kind no, of thing. No, I, I, just, <laughs> I don't like the idea of... Sorry, that reminds me of John Delaney. Uh, John Delaney and uh, San Marino. Mm-hmm. Oh, so funny. When, uh, when Ireland were playing San Marino, you know. Tiny, an intimate stadium, you could say. Uh, Ireland... 2007, this is February. Ireland 1 0 up, playing really badly. San Marino equalised. <laughs> oh dear. Last, like last minute equaliser for San Marino. Oh no. And the fans over the other side of the stadium, the Ireland fans immediately unfurl a bed sheet with Delaney out on it, you know? Yeah. They've painted, they've daubed Delaney out of the thing. And they're all shouting abuse at Delaney. And you can see some fans on our side of the ground. Delaney's just sitting down kind of in front of us. Uh, you, know, you can imagine the, the kind of things football fans, when their blood is up, chant. And then suddenly Stephen Ireland pops up. Bang, 2-1 <laughs> Ireland. At which point it was John Delaney giving it all back, giving it all back to those fans. You know, a big, a tall man, John Delaney, looming forward, jabbing his finger in the air. You know, what say you now, Ireland fans? Uh, who says Delaney out now that Stephen Ireland has... Uh, I don't know if it was like it was that type of performance from Ed Woodward, I doubt it. No. We, it probably would have heard a lot more about it if it had It been. sounds like a fairly subtle, a wry smile, as was, uh, as was indicated by John. Yeah, I just, I just have this image. I'm sure, I'm sure it wasn't <laughs> any sort of thing. But I, just this image of, you know... Uh, a spittle-flecked him. John Delaney. His hair, because uh, sort of, he was kind of jabbing his finger like that, and it does have a certain knock. You know, Newton's laws of motion. You jab your finger violently in that direction, your head jiggles a little bit, and your hair begins to sort of jiggle. And, and it was it sort of separated into strands. His face was a little red. It was an emotional night mm. for everyone. And you can, you can imagine how that looked, you know? Well, I was actually more picturing Ed Woodward giving it the old... You know, shrug of the shoulders, hands up. Well, what are you going to do? See you next week. <laughs> All right, show <laughs> number know, one. really what we need. Show number one this week is already out there. It includes Mark English, who was in great form, having just landed back from Zurich after winning uh, bronze in the 800 metres and also helping Ireland to the fifth place finish in their 4x4 and relay. There's loads of good stuff on the hurling as well, so do have a listen to that once you finish listening to us talking now to Jacob Steinberg, who's at Upton Park for The Guardian. Um, Jacob, Sam Allardyce, cut an unbelievably disconsolate figure they missed their penalty early on. He had his head in his hands there after Mark Noble missed that one. Ended up losing the game 1-0. And he looked afterwards like a guy I, who feels he may be on borrowed time even after just one game. Would that be right? Uh, well, Allardyce is always a supremely confident man. So he was asked after the game whether the owners might look at it and start to think that he's under pressure. And he said, well, if they're going to sack me now after one game, they might as well have done it at the end of the season. And, of course, um, that was certainly something that was close to happening in, in May when there were a round of talks with the owners and eventually I think that what happened was they couldn't really find anyone else to replace him. So we got this kind of uh, interesting statement from the owners saying that uh, there was an emphasis on playing a more attractive style of football, um, aiming for a top 10 finish and uh, engaging with the supporters more because Allardyce's uh, um, relationship with the West Ham fans is uh, probably at an all-time low at the moment. Um, So no, I mean, I, I don't think Allardyce probably feels under any more pressure just because he's he's not really that kind of guy but I think he I don't think that 
result has uh, certainly done him any favours, no. This sounds a lot like what happened with Giovanni Trapattoni over here. Things started going badly with Ireland and he was brought in by the FAI to be asked politely to maybe attend a few more games in England and uh, stop talking about players in public so much. But I think when it reaches that point, it's probably a bad sign that things are, things are maybe gone beyond repair anyway. Well, I mean, the thing is that Allardyce is, um, he was, it's kind of a marriage of, uh, of convenience, really. I mean, he's not a, a, a person that I think West Ham fans wanted to see come in, in in the first place. And, you know, it was really because they got themselves into such a mess that they needed someone like Allardyce to get them back into the league and provide them with a bit of stability. And I think that's what he's done. I don't think you can necessarily argue with promotion at the first attempt and, and then um, avoiding relegation in the last two seasons. It's just that the... Some of the football really is um, can be quite uh, boring to watch at times. Not all the time, but I think on Saturday we saw the weaknesses of that they played against ten men for uh, you know, quite a long time, and he didn't really. You know, when it started to come obvious that Spurs were starting to cope a bit better with what West Ham were doing, which is you know get the ball wide and get the crosses in, he didn't really know what to do about that. It, nothing really changed. He stuck with. One striker at front, Colton Cole, who's obviously not good enough for it to start regularly for Premier League side. And, you know, he didn't bring on someone like Zarate, who might be able to provide a bit more creativity. Or, you know, Enna Valencia came on quite late because he's not quite up to speed yet. So it, it just felt like there was, you know, that, that, that lack of adventure. I don't think, you know, I don't think they, they're an ugly side, West Ham, uh, not on the evidence of Saturday. It's just that. There's a real lack of creativity at times. It's all a bit obvious what they're going to do, and Spurs eventually just kind of started to realise, oh, these these guys aren't up to much, and you know, started to attack much more, and eventually got the winner. I'm wondering. I mean, when you talk about the style of football being a problem, or, or that Aldice has been instructed to to make things a bit easier on the eye, I'm a bit suspicious about that. I mean, are the West Ham hierarchy big football purists? David Gold, David Sullivan, are they are they um, they they only like a very refined kind of game? Karen Brady. Um, doesn't doesn't I mean if if that's the case, why did they hire Sam Allardyce in the first place? They knew what they were going to get. Yeah, well they did, but the uh, the club had massive debts when they when they hired him, and you know they, when they hired him, they were in the championship, and the club was a complete shambles at the time. They 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 had cut, they avoided relegation by the skin of their teeth for a couple of seasons. Eventually, it became too much, and they went down, uh, partly because they hired the wrong guy in Avram Grant. And then, you know, I I personally didn't have a huge problem with hiring. Um, Sam Allardyce as a manager for the championship you know he he got them up at the first attempt and not many sides actually do that um, after after going down do they so you know it, it, it works it works for a certain level of uh, football doesn't it and then eventually when you start to, to watch too much of it it can become a bit of a grind um, you know last season they when they went a goal down they they had no clue what to do they, they <laughs> the, the most damning that I can come up with is that they scored three equalisers all season last year, which is an appalling record. Um, they lost 20 times last year. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I think Allardyce sometimes gets a little bit of an unfair, uh, unfair criticism for the style of football. But you know, with Sullivan and Gold and, and Brady, it's political because you know I think they they've sort of realised though the fans don't like this, so it's a very easy thing for them for them to say to talk about the style of football. You know, if, if they if they're not getting on with Allardyce, which I'm not sure that uh, certainly Sullivan doesn't, it's quite easy to start talking at, about the style of football and the players that they should be bringing in. Um, if he wants to, 
you know, make himself seem like the, the good guy to the, to the supporters. Because um, you know, it's, it's not very hard to for, for them to, <laughs> for, you know, to, to start making the supporters turn against Allardyce. You know, you only need to say a couple of things, and, and they're and they're they're on your side, really. Surely, from the supporters' point of view, I know there is this thing about West Ham fans and the, a certain footballing philosophy. But really, is is it just about the fact that that type of football hasn't been producing results? If Sam Allardyce was boring. Uh, all the supporters, but getting them into the top six in the Premier League, would they gen- is this whole idea that West Ham fans must see silky smooth football, is that actually true? Uh, well, you know, just one point, they, they paid £70 for, for, uh, to watch that against Tottenham on, um, on, on Saturday, so I think that... You know, £70? Yeah, yeah, I mean, there was a big thing last week about, um, that was the most expensive ticket anyway, um, I think it probably went down to about 50 but, uh, you know, I think that probably the, the the attitude of supporters changes now in you know in the modern game, as it were. When you start to pay more money, you start to expect a bit more, I guess. And um, you know, I think if obviously if they were, let, let's put it this way, they beat Spurs three times last season, the, the most hated rivals. I don't think anybody was complaining about the style of football that Allardyce played then. Well, but I remember I, the, 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 it was like that was Ravel Morrison scoring that amazing goal. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they did them in the in the league cup, and then it, again. But um, that 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 actually, I remember that as a key match last season for West Ham, not just because it was probably their best result of the season, but because of the way that Sam Allardyce strutted around afterwards, boasting about how his tactical plan. I mean, he he was clearly. I mean, well, yeah, was, he played without a striker. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and he was kind of boasting about this, and you thought, well, why don't you make a plan for every game, Sam? I mean, if that's the case. Yeah, but, I mean, if you take that game in isolation, then it did look like a, a superb uh, plan by Allardyce. But then, you know, if you if you look at the, I know that they scored three goals. If you look at the goals, one one was from a corner, one was kind of from a Spurs mistake, and the other's a ridiculous individual goal by by Ravel Morrison. And so you're kind of sitting there wondering and thinking. Is this actually down to you know Sam Allardyce has suddenly discovered how to play like Barcelona, or have they kind of just you know got a bit of luck for, for once and, and and it's and it's fallen their way because they they've then played that formation in the next four or five games and didn't win a game so and then he immediately went back to type so I'm I'm a little bit um, suspicious about that uh, that little run of of. Uh, of games where he played without a striker, whether he whether it was just kind of a I'm not sure I'm not entirely sure what I'm doing here, um, but I'll give it a go and then as soon as it doesn't work I'm going to go back and I think it, you know to be honest it was more of a defensive um, formation than, than anything else yeah. you know so, you know that Spurs game they just kind of sat back put about ten men behind the ball and then kind of hit them on the break. Well, we have barely um, spoken at all about the, the side that uh, actually won this match on yeah. Saturday, Tottenham, um, and I guess the, the, I mean that that. Uh, <laughs> That's kind of been a trend of the whole summer. I mean, nobody seems to have been talking about Tottenham at all uh, in contrast to previous seasons. Um, and you manager now, Maurizio Pochettino, who I see is now speaking English in public at his press conferences. I wonder, does it change his aura at all? Because Pochettino <laughs> had been had been speaking Spanish through this, in, uh, speaking through an interpreter, and he had this kind of... Uh, uh, sneer of cold command, you could say. Now he's speaking broken English and kind of laughing and joking. Does he come across as a completely different man? Um, I, I, I covered him quite a lot at Southampton, and you could always kind of tell that... Well, the thing is that he always kind of understood what you were saying anyway, because he, he'd spoken English pretty much since he got here. He'd just never spoken it in public. And I think that, probably from his point of view, he didn't just didn't want anything to be misinterpreted. You know, I think you sometimes see that with foreign managers when they're not when they decide to speak in English and they haven't got, quite got it down and sometimes what they say ends up in the press maybe twisted in a certain way that they didn't want it to come across as but 
Um, no, I think he was. All, he always came across pretty well. Um, it was just kind of, you know, you, you were often sort of asking him a question, and he would answer you in Spanish, and then the interpreter would start speaking. So you're, you're never quite sure where to look. So it's kind of hard to build a rapport in that kind of way. But you know, I've seen him twice over the past couple of days. Um, Pochettino, and you know, he's been speaking English and kind of laughing at you know some of the things that he can't say. And uh, his his assistant speaks perfect English. Actually, he's also Spanish. Um, well, obviously Pochettino is Argentinian, but he's a Spanish speaker, but he speaks perfect English. And you know, so there's all there's there's all kind of that amusing uh, line of of, of uh, Pochettino, not quite knowing what he wants to say and asking the guy. So it's all you know, it's all quite good natured. And he he's got a he's got a good sense of humour as well. So he you know, he's, uh, he's, I wouldn't say he's like the, the Tim Sherwood style, you know, banter king or whatever, but, um, you know, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a pretty good guy. He's a pretty approachable guy, quite, quite charming with all the journalists. So I think that he's um, probably quite clever in that regard. I think he's, he's, got, he's got quite good PR, probably certainly compared to, you know, Sam Allardyce, who's quite abrasive. Um, Pochettino, you know, really engages with people. I think that's probably, um, probably why players like him as well, because, you know, he took over at Southampton from a hugely popular manager, Nigel Adkins, and no one knew who he was. But the players embraced him straight away. And he's a very demanding manager in terms of the training uh, demands he placed on players. It's a very intensive training style. He has you know, really fitness-based. Hmm. You know, at Southampton, it was it, uh, it was evident straight away that, that players liked him, and you know, Adam Lallana loved him and came out saying that pretty much as soon as he took over at Southampton. And um, you know, if the Spurs players not always notice the behaving themselves if they do you know fall into line and 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 do what he says then i think that they're going to be a very very good side this season yeah i mean he, he has got a squad which this time last year was strongly fancied i think to finish in the top four um and since then really he, he's operating almost without pressure i think well other than the, the usual pressure that comes from the from the Tottenham fans um but you know there isn't there isn't really any great expectation on on Pochettino there. I mean he does have you know there, there was all these players last season that were signed and, and and they didn't really integrate. But maybe there's been a chance for that to take place, and we saw evidence maybe of that happening with the presence in the team of Eric Lamella. Now I don't know Jacob if you have any more idea on what 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 problem it was that Lamella had last season that caused the entire season effectively to be a write off. He does appear to be back now. Is there is there any sign that he might go some way to justifying his his uh, his price. Um, well, I think you know Lamella. I'm not even sure if he he was a, a, at Roma, and I think he probably didn't really want to leave Roma. Um, ends up in a new country. I'm not sure that um, you know the manager that who was at Spurs at the time, um, Andre Villas-Boas. I'm not sure he particularly wanted him. So you know he didn't really play him. And then when he did, when I think when he started him, he kind of hung him out to dry in the game against Manchester City. That might have been his first start, and obviously they lost that game. 6-0 and Amela, obviously at that point he looks like a joke to everybody. Didn't really speak any English and I think that you know, AVB is probably the the uh, accusation against him is always the, the man management, isn't it? And you know, for a young kid coming over from, from Italy doesn't really speak any English, probably not the ideal manager to, to have um, at the club at the time. And then I think that uh, he got an injury, didn't he? And I think there's talk maybe that was mis- misdiagnosed and you know, that kept him out for, well, basically, the, the game that he played against West Ham was the first time he's played this year, and um, it's in, in 2014. And, um, you know, he's been very good in pre-season playing behind the striker, and uh, there were signs sort of in the first 20 minutes that him and Ericsson are going to be quite a force. You know, they were linking well and interchanging quite well. 
but it's still these early days. It's a work in progress because there were times, you know, when the final pass wasn't quite there. A bit of a still a few misunderstandings between the players, but you know, he, he didn't look like a you know like a soft touch this time. And um, he went off. He went off. He didn't look like a thirty million pound player on Saturday, but you could see that there's talent there. Um, you know, so I think that if, if Pochettino can get him going, I think that that Spurs will be a much better side than they were last season. If, you know, if he starts linking up with um, with Ericsson, who you know, I think is one of the best players in the league at the moment. All right, Jacob Steinberg, great stuff. Thank you. Okay, thanks. You can see the level of expectancy. Coach, this is the game you wanted a victory, boy. Didn't happen. What happened? Oh, that makes such an idiot. A game that they've been looking forward to for a long time. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? And then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. Thanks a lot, Pepe. You can see the level of expectancy. The name was take that penalty. He was fucking dreadful. Sorry, we're not here. Oh, we're not we? We are. Well, I apologise for that, but obviously, it didn't exactly to win. All right. West Ham fans, it's been a little bit... Oh, they do seem very genuinely grimmed out by the Sam Allardyce regime, though. Sam Allardyce gave them the finger, remember? <laughs> All right, yeah. You know? Although, again, in a way, is that not... I don't want to say admirable, but, you know... Can they? Can we not forgive and forget? Can we not move on? Does everybody not have the same interests here? No, you probably, in fairness, a manager who does that often isn't for, isn't forgiven by everybody who is on the team. There is a uh, fans do have a way of being very self righteous about these things, very sanctimonious. You know, obviously, having spent the entire match dealing out insults and abuse, if one is then directed back in their, in, you know, in their direction, it's not. Uh, it's usually greeted with, you know, appalled sanctimony. So, I don't know. I mean, the thing is that big, Sam Allardyce does, I nearly, literally called him Big Sam, he does play terrible football. I mean, he believes in bad football. He believes that bad football is the best way to, is the best way to win. And it's not. We've got another show ready for you today. Murph, please sell that show for our listeners. Well, uh, Morris O'Brien and Malky Clerken joined us to talk hurling. And uh, we may have, we may have, Stop just short and then maybe cross the line into calling Tipperary fans the most demanding, most animalistic. Can we even say it? Can we even? Hey, listen, it? it's Morris O'Brien. Don't say it's stop the wee stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, after their uh, rather topsy turvy relationship with their team this year, nah, uh, they're in the Ireland final now, and uh, the bandwagon is back on. <laughs> uh, and we also had uh, our newest European athletics medalist, Mark English, and David Gillick talking about. What makes a good four by four hundred meter relay team, and the most violent fifteen hundred meter final we've we've ever seen? Shocking scenes yesterday. Good so. news. Ken is already three quarters of the way through his article slamming Thierry Henry and possibly yep. goading him into doing an interview so this point. Thursday, or at least Thierry an off the conversation. <laughs> second captain. Thanks, would, would it be legal to do that? I mean, huh? could Thierry Henry do me for that if I was to? Tape is secretly tape the conversation <laughs> and publish it. I think secretly taping. Yeah, I don't know if that's. Yeah, great. that's probably not a great idea. And this conversation we're having right now. 
this conversation we're having right now probably isn't would helping it, your cause would impl- at any stage. implicate you slightly. <laughs> yeah, there would be a slight element of predetermination. Thanks, Ken. Thanks. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. <laughs>